Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and this week we're joined by our special guest, Ed Kingsley. And this week we're discussing modelling other humans. Thought that was reasonably slick. Yeah, not that's about as, it's about as slick as I get. He said that. Yeah, thing. He said Actually, it. I he feel said under two hundred times, <laughs> and he still cannot get it right. <laughs> I feel under more pressure with Ed here. I feel I need yeah, to. I know. Oh, I, I get this bit, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, real pro here, <laughs> you can't flag it anymore. Oh, already doubt. looking bad. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Nick. Perhaps you would. Uh, care to introduce our special guest for us please sure yeah so i um obviously in our line of work one of the things we have to do quite a lot is uh, think about the way that uh, people are going to behave whether they're you know heads of governments or um whether people in organizations what they're going to do uh, or individuals or, or you know informal groups um it's something that's you know obviously of quite fundamental interest in in the world of sort of politics and business um and, uh, you know, we tend in, in our company to take a very analytical approach, you know, which is sort of quite statistical and, and um, uh, doesn't really go much further than trying to measure what it is that people do and, and draw inferences from that and, and be uncertain about it. But it occurred to me now, uh, Ed, I've known for many years, and he is an actor of no small renown, has been in many things uh, on TV, uh, stage in films and um, and also behind uh, sort of behind the camera. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in whether actually what can acting tell actors do this, right? Actors have to think about what it is that characters are going to behave and then do that. Um, so uh, I'm interested in what how they do that and whether we can learn something from it. And so uh, one question I have, mm. so starting with yourself, Ed, um, is is one description of acting, is it modelling other humans? I'm sure it's other things as well. But is that one way to look at it? Is that one of the things that you do? I think that's pretty central. Um, to I mean, it talk about, it's called lots of things. It's called creating a character. It's called, um, but I, I mean, but I think it is the, the central thing about acting for me is uh, stepping into somebody else's shoes and exploring. A, a full, a full, as fully formed another human life as you can, and sharing it with a room full of strangers in the dark, or whoever it may be. Um, it's interesting what you were talking about 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 that, uh, that analysis and prediction, and because the first thing you get, which I suppose um, might be similar to when you're looking at data, is is the script, and the script isn't a, isn't a play, and the script isn't a film, and the script isn't a TV. It's just what a character says and some suggestion of where they are which is you might think was a very small aspect of someone it's almost it's almost like like the sand in in the in the oyster and i think then you have to you have to build from that from and a good writer will put enough into what a character says and, and where they are and how they interact with other people that from then you get um you get a sniff of what what a fully formed human around that would be and there are lots of, now when I say an actor does this, I'm only really talking about myself because I think there are many <laughs> as many different ways of approaching this as there are actors, and some people are entirely instinctual and just read it once and something pops into their head and they do it. I tend to do quite a lot of actual pencil and paper stuff 
as as soon yeah. as I get the script. Okay, what what sort of what are you working out? Well, the the big things you can try and work out is what does the character want overall, which if you're being technical, you could call the super objective. So, what do they want throughout the entire entirety of their story? Right. Uh, within each scene, you have an objective, and then you. This is all stuff that draws on that kind of um, method tradition that came from Russia and then went to America and then came to London. Um, and then I break up a scene into what um, into what's either called beats or beads, depending on which translation you read. And as a and there's an objective within each bead. And then beyond that, on each line, you try. I try and find. Um, exactly what that character is trying to do to the to whoever they're talking to with that line with that even down to the individual word sometimes and and that's sometimes that's called actioning and the, the, the what i do what actioning is is to try and find the what's the proper word for it the, tr the transitive verb for each action so um could be and it's better if it's not something like to to tell. It's something that transforms the other person. So it could be to excite or to amaze or to stroke or to flatter. It's something that the char your character is trying to change in the other character. And if you can find a pattern of that, and it, there are arguments about whether it works for everything. I think it's a useful tool for everything, for monologues, for because you're always talking to somebody, even if you're talking to yourself. If you're talking out loud, you're trying to change something in yourself but it's particularly useful if you've got a scene where there's back and forth where two people have different objectives and you're both of you are trying to change something in the other to try and get what you want out of it and if you can map that out that actually for me is the is the most useful tool for starting to build a character because I, yeah this is and that's really interesting for well, me because because what? sorry before you come in because this sounds like some of the things that you've talked to me about that you do um especially the very first thing that ed started off saying was which is finding the what was it the super the it's super, super objective, objective is what super objective which is something the you sort of ram home again and again and again is well what's your point what's your overarching point yeah and, and, and then, when we when we've done red teaming which is when you where you are trying to anticipate what the actions of another of another personal group is you start with um you know you start with working out what their objectives are because you can't you've got nothing to go on if you don't have that and so it's really interesting to me that they're actually the very very similar process mm. um and um but it, it i mean it's, it strikes me from what you're saying that actually the skill of being able to work out what a character is trying to achieve and drawing that inference from their words and stuff is actually do you feel like that's quite separate to actually being able to enact it or are they closely related well i think that's the next so once you've got that once you sort of have a feeling of their pattern of behavior of whether they're somebody who's trying to engage somebody or whether they're trying to squash somebody or what you know if you've got a page full of and all of your notes say things like punch roast <laughs> then you get a sense of that of what of how that person interacts with the world and from then you, from that you've got you've sort of got a sense of their motor of their of their attitude of, and and then you're not kind of plucking things out of the air about what a character might be because you're actually looking at the way they behave and then you can fill in any gaps that aren't text that are um that are sort of around what they say or or even the way they move because people often the way people interact verbally is very similar to the way they 
interact physically, or it might be at odds with that, which could be you could have somebody who's apparently very still and calm, but then brutal with their work. So from from that sort of character skeleton, I can't think of a better mm. way of describing it. You can you can put a you can discover, or you can feel. You, I suppose it gives you it gives you a sense of what what choices are right and what choices are wrong about the rest of the character. So when you're actually performing. Is that a conscious process? Uh, so do you think, right, ah, now this person is attempting to influence that person, so they're probably going to be standing quite close to them, so I'll move towards them. Or is it is it more that you are kind of, you're attempting to simulate being that person? I mean, and, and, you, and you're trying to, you don't have to think about what would they do because you're trying to be them. I think hopefully by the time you've got on stage or in front of the camera, you've done all of that work and right. you've found the, you've sort of, you've, been, you've found the pattern. And then you don't have to think, and and now I amaze you. Like it's it's, and that's what rehearsal is as well. Rehearsal is getting all of that conscious bits into something m- more intuitive, more subconscious, uh, that kind of drives the whole thing. Do, do during your preparation work, do you ever, outside of the script and outside of the direction you've been given, do you ever experiment with your characters to say, well, put them in a novel situation, so. Perhaps when you're waiting for a bus or something, you slip into character and say, what would my character try to do right now, given his super goals that he's trying to achieve, just presented with this particular bus driver? How would he perhaps react to this person? Yeah, well, you're taking your character out for a walk. Yeah, yeah. it's... Um, <laughs> yeah, that's quite a useful... Th- I mean, Sod's Law means as soon as you do it, you bump into somebody you know and go, oh, sorry, I'm <laughs> being somebody else. Um, but it's very... and there's and And there's also things that happen in rehearsal rooms or things you do yourself kind of hot seating where you sit them down and you ask a load of questions and on and put them in different situations and and sort of yeah you do try them out and you and actually it happens anyway even if you're not thinking about it you start realizing that this is quite yeah. a you know whoever the character might be thing to do and presumably some some projects are pre- you, you probably have an opportunity to develop a quite a close relationship with the original author or the screenwriter um and so do you, there's an opportunity to them to check with them, say, when when presented with a situation, what do you think your character would do? Mm. And to get a bit more sort of depth from them about their character and perhaps even try out that character on them and say, look, if I pretend to be this person, does that kind of yeah. correlate with how you'd expect them to be? It's a funny thing with, right, I mean, yeah, and I've worked with some, cause I've done quite a lot of, well, t- screen stuff tends to be new writing anyway, but in theatre as well, I've worked with quite a lot of, living writers um and sometimes they're a brilliant resource but quite often the way a writer thinks about a character is it's not that it's at odds with the way an actor has to think about it but it's it's not always because they're thinking about the character as a part of a whole mm. and especially it, if it's it. a writer with a kind of political agenda what they what they want that character's actions They've got a sort of role within this wider thing. Yeah, yeah. And they mean and they mean something in a in a sort of literary sense that mm. character. So, and that's useful. And it's useful to know what their what your. It's vital to know what your part of the of the whole piece is. But in terms of kind of fighting your character's corner, that sort of outs because we. Well, I I don't know if in real life we go through life knowing what our what our part of our function in the whole pieces so you can only you can only fight your characters you can't act the whole piece i suppose and a writer sort of wants to 
get it, sort of wants the voices in their heads to come out on stage. Yeah, I guess you you but you an, a, a character doesn't know doesn't know all the other stuff in the world, and yeah. in a way that might well interfere with the realism of your performance. If you I, know, if if you start letting that, what is going to happen in the next scene infect. I think the the great sort of impossible trick to pull off is that the actor knows everything that's going to happen so that they don't fall off stage or walk into the scenery (laughs) and the character they're playing has no idea and if you can do those two things at the same time which I you know it is impossible then you don't you know it's that thing of you see people walking on you it's sometimes an actor will walk on stage and they're playing the crisis at the end of the scene at the beginning of the scene right so they walk on in a sort of state and then you think why are they in that oh i see because they they're getting to where they need to get but they've done it all off stage whereas actually you want to sort of go on the you're discovering things in the moment you want to take the audience with you on the journey the character's going through so if you do it all in the wings for my money i'm not i'm not i'm in danger of being rude about people then um i think that sort of short circuits it and the writer knows everything so they know where they want the character to go they know but you have to Mm. sort of I don't know how to describe it sort of feign ignorance or ignore the things that yeah, you know you need, or... to, you need to become sort of like carried on the tide of the narrative in a sort of ignorant way like yeah. a, like a real person would be and sort of yeah exactly the, come uh, across uh, situations as if it's novel so time. I think we've just demonstrated that r- r- the inferiority complex that writers have is completely justified actors <laughs> really do <laughs> look down on them no they're uh, brilliant <laughs> writers are fantastic we couldn't do anything we do without writers it's just that their their perspective is different to ours and it's not always it's not always useful it's often very useful um i've got a question for you mm. ed and then i want to bring it back around to, to to you guys um but um bringing it back to the, the first question we asked which is about um modeling behavior um and actually um certainly for me it was quite sort of surprising that it actually did sound quite analytical what you were saying to me um but um what are some characters more difficult to model some behaviors some can you can you tell me the ones that are more of a struggle can you talk to me about those the hardest thing to do is if somebody goes oh it's this well it's just like you that's the <laughs> the hardest characters to play are, are you, because you can't because that analysis is very difficult because it's really hard to turn yeah, all you those tools. See and yourself, right? Yeah, you and yeah. and and then and also, there's that thing, you know, like um, I think of it like uh, uh, so-called naive painters, and you try and look at the painting, and there's too much detail everywhere because you're not quite sure where your eyes supposed to go, and every single bit. It's not that any of it is badly painted, but every single bit is kind of full of detail and popping to the front. And if a character is very close to you and you sort of think, well, I don't need to do anything, then that kind of... The other the other, heart, the other bit of acting, which is having generated all of that character, choosing which bits are then important for the story or for the scene or for the audience... That's very hard to do if 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 you've got everything you know if, if if every last twitch stutter fart is is yours and the characters then choosing with, then that kind of dramaturg in a dramaturg it's 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 much harder to do so those are the ones that I think are tricky if it's complete opposite to you it's great that leap into 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 some some somebody who isn't you who does things that you wouldn't do is much easier and and more exciting and, and all the rest of it. uh peter something occurred something just occurred to me that, that this around the analytical process you go through to understand your character and develop it and sort of 
model it, if for want of a better word, in your head, seems quite sort of top down in that you're sort of you're given a bit of a brief, you undo a bit of research about this character, and then you emulate how they might behave. And I'm just sort of I'm trying to I'm trying to grapple towards trying to understand if acting as a sort of uh, activity is useful for analysis. If if for example um, uh, uh, the, the the intelligence people within defense might use actors and say okay here's here's what we know about kim jong il can you get into character and help us understand what he might do when presented with a mm. new situation um it seems like you're sort of starting with that end state and working kind of back whereas analysis would start with all the detail about what he had for breakfast and uh you know how, his favorite color and what, what what socks he likes to wear mm. um and then you'd have to sort of build a character up from there I'm wondering if they're, if that's if that's right, if they are sort of two slightly opposing approaches. I think. Well, I mean, I like I said, I, that's I'm, that's very specifically the way I start as an actor. There are lots of actors who, the first thing they'll do will be what they have for breakfast and what their favourite colour is, and lots of actors talk about finding the right pair of shoes. And I know that sounds daft, but there's something about um, like that a person's direct relationship with the world around them which mm. i think that and i think the finding a balance between those two is a great and so from that analysis of action and and intention and character if you then get a sort of whiff of the character or a feeling or a certain walk or a certain something that's physical that is then that's that's then where kind of instinct and Everything else take over, and you can, and that's when you can take them for a walk out into the mm. world and 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 discover other things. So that that sort of very precise analysis can only get you so far, and then you do have to do that. You know. Yeah, I think so. It seems to me, like superficially, my, my I would I would imagine that being able to think about what someone is going to do in a certain situation, and having the skills to behave like that, they they seem to me superficially like totally different like you could you might you might be able to um you know know it's a bit like the difference between a, you know a critic or someone who really who's really good at analyzing images might be completely unable to reproduce one but it seems to me that they're not i mean based on what you're saying that actually the two things are really closely related and that you know if when you are actually acting presumably you in a sense discover things about what that character is going to do you, you, yeah. Which you which you wouldn't necess- you wouldn't necessarily be able to identify from a purely armchair driven approach. That when you're being them, in yeah. some sense, you're able to hijack some aspect of your you know neural architecture to to discover things, just like a simulation, to discover things that you you didn't know and you weren't consciously yeah. putting in there. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, it com- I mean, there comes a point where it's just you just know a character, and you just know what feels right for them to do and what doesn't feel right for them to do and you know if you're pushing like basically you want to get to a place where you're not doing any acting and you say, it's very easy just stop going to auditions but i mean like if you can just <laughs> like find find as much as you can through analysis or whatever it is and of, of of what feels right about that character and then just let them interact with the world with the other characters and react and not push anything on, not push any sort of, wouldn't it be interesting if I did this kind of decisions? If you just kind of wind them up, let them go, then I, that's, 
that's the sort of acting I really I, enjoy. Actually, I mean, so I had a question about the improvisation and, mm. and whether or not improvising with a script or let's say just, you know, nor, say normal acting with a script is basically, you know, it's kind of improvising with a little bit of a constraint or whether it's really very different. No, I think it's, I think, I mean, there are always things that are set. Stage tends to be, there's a bit more wiggle room. If you're on screen, you know, you have to hit your marks and you, if you're doing several takes and you have to do the time, but within all of those, you know, what you have to, where you have to be and what you have to say, all of those things are set. But I think there always has to be what I suppose you could call improvisation or just a kind of living reaction to Mm. what's happening around you. Because those, because then it stops being acting and it starts being watching. Although it's a, it's you know it's a fiction. It's also a, it's also real in a sense. Well, I think you use the word skeleton. I feel like probably all those the constraints feel to me like the skeleton, yeah. you know. And then you're painting the flesh on, mm. which is actually the bit we we see, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, so as analysts, from um, I mean, it's been a relatively sort of brief overview, but uh, from what Ed has said so far. Um, as analysts, what do you feel that um, he has talked about and his method that he's talked about that you could benefit from? Well, I, I'm int- I would be really interested to um, experiment and to find out, you know, whether or not um, people asked to make predictions about what someone would do uh, are going to be less accurate than trained actors. And my, my instinct is that they probably... Uh, you know, would be considerably less accurate. I feel. I feel like. I think the process that Ed's described feels to me like it is going to reliably produce, um, you know, a better insight into someone's uh, motivation and behaviour. And I'm not sure whether that's the analytical bit of what he's talking about, or whether it's the skill of being able to simulate someone else's behaviour. But I think I, I feel like it, you know it sounds obviously potentially uh, really useful. The, the the only thing is, I having looked into the evidence, right. I've discovered that um, uh, the world of acting is very... Uh, you're sitting down, lads. We've got a great pun coming up. Right. Understudied. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It really is surprising. Steady There's very on. actually very little. There's, there have been some studies done on, um, you know, the, what actors are experiencing. And uh, it seems that they're not... Actors don't actually experience the emotions that they're portraying. But they do. They, it is an emotional... Uh, thing to do but actually i'd say i'm not i don't put much credence in in most of this but so i i i think basically i I, my prior probability would be that actually i would i think actors might be some you know able to shed light on these kinds of questions and um uh but it's worth testing hold on i've just there's a business opportunity here because actors are noted no uh for often being resting, right? He's done it. He's um, done it. He's used it. He's hit, he's hit the cliche. <laughs> we hit the That's cliche one. <laughs> okay, but it sounds like there's a, there's a, hey there's a market here. All these people are wonderful at studying and knowing how humans are going to behave. We've got all these organisations wondering how you know what are these people are going to do. Yeah. What's going to happen? We've got these actors sitting around doing nothing. Mm. Just well, hold on there. <laughs> but hold on. I yeah. know Peter wants to come in with something, and I'm, I'm sure Ed would like to respond. <laughs> I've just said as well. Yeah. Uh, well, likewise, I'd like to experiment because we we know there's more evidence that um, the use of actors uh, has benefit in other areas such as training and development um, to provide a simulated environment for 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 the people under assessment or people under training to 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 have a realistic environment. Mm. So my sister's an actor, and one of her sources of work is she she does um, role play for right. junior doctors in hospitals. Um, so she will be, recently she's had a good line in being a pregnant 
pregnant patient because she was pregnant until recently. And uh, so, yeah, she would come in and be deliberately sort of, well, be, be simulate, simulate a real person and perhaps sort of naturally be slightly um, obstructive and or difficult or unable to, exp to describe their symptoms. Hmm. So to, for the doctors to then practice elicitation and, and, and sort of questioning them in a, in a useful, constructive way. So it's sort of, and I've seen, it's used in, used in police and law enforcement doing the similar sort of thing. And it's sort of generally appreciated as being a good way, a good use mm. of it. So I think, you know, it's, so I think there's a shame, really, that the scientific arts and the, the artistic arts have been separated in this well, way. And of course, you know, but when you... We're rediscovering the sort of utility of, of this. Yeah, this I want to hear from Ed first. Well, I just, my, my only caveat to what Nick was saying about using actors to help analysis is that the another part of the job is that we are always of all the options before us we're trying to find the most interesting choice mm. the most dramatic choice so because that's that's the nature of a piece of theater or a film as you're watching people in crisis making the decisions that or not in crisis or it's often in crisis because it's drama or, or some or they're in they're in a in a particular moment in their life where um there are incredible pressures on them and the sort of choices they're making are the ones that lead to the next dramatic situation or the next farcical situation. So our instinct will always, if we're, if we're looking at someone will always be rather than something mundane, it will always be something dramatic and, and uh, that might skew our analysis of, yeah. I suspect, of, of real so world. I, I suspect if, if presented with an option of, going to work for some uh, slightly dusty old part of defence to help them model how the particular people that you'll never get exposure for because the, the work you'll be doing is inherently secretive. Oh, no, a lot imagine, of actors are probably driven by exposure and fame. And wouldn't, <laughs> well, would oh, it'd be great, though, to have, you know, advisor to defence intelligence, acting advisor to defence oh, yeah. intelligence. Top gun yeah. actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're actually fairly close to be needing to wrap up. But before we do, there's at least one question I've got, and I'm sure we'll have time for others. Um Quick question. Mm. Are you familiar with the Fraser method of acting? I, I mean, you probably know all sorts, but I don't know if you know that one. But let me take notes. Uh -oh. Right, go on. Okay. It's very, it's, it's inspired by the Fraser method of analysis and decision making, right. which is actually to not do an awful lot. Make this is more or less along, binary turn up, go, yeah, it'll be all right. I'll go for that one. Okay. So my question is this, the Fraser method. Do you know, are there actors um, who you know of and perhaps who we might know of who are famous for just kind of, because you talked a lot about the analysis that you do and the, the research you do into mm -hmm. a character. Are, act, are there some actors who just rock up, sort of read the script, yeah, I can do that, and give w an amazing performance, or however one might define that? Or are there, are there actors like that who are kind of rather frowned upon in the industry and thought of being a bit hammy and a bit useless? So can you talk to me a bit about that? Th he well, will never name names. I'm not going to name names. we it. want him to, but he won't. But, <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said for... I mean, I, if I have time to do that pencil and paper stuff, I love it. But quite often you don't get the chance to do it quite often the script has been rewritten that morning and you get it as you're sitting in the makeup chair and you have to be able to do it instantly and sometimes maybe quite often that quick instinct if it's a character you've got an idea about beforehand that quick instinctual reaction can be as rich maybe even better because it's because it's an entirely human reaction and loads of it i mean yeah, the people, the, the guys who do, like soap actors. I don't know why people are rude about soap actors. The way they work is extraordinary. I did a um, casualty's not quite a sort of a soap, but a casualty a few years ago, 
and just the amount of storylines they have in their head and and they're filming in blocks so they've they're filming something that's from a different episode and going back and and they the speed that they get a new a rewritten script and respond to it and make it live it's extraordinary and that but that comes from knowing those characters very well and knowing the situations very well but yeah i mean i think most most actors worth their salt will be able to go quick quickly right. entertain something right. so well, i can i can there's still a chance there for me to make it then right um so before we finish off i've got one question i want to ask however some sort of summing up is anything either of you two would like to say just well I, um, just an observation really which is that um you know we were talking about uh well could could actors um help shed insight into the behavior of other people the one profession you might expect to do that which is psychologists are they will it's a bit like talking about resting in front of an actor if you say to them so do you know what i'm thinking or what i'm going to say <laughs> they, it's like that's the number one psychology cliche but why don't why can't they like you'd ex- if psychologists can't do it well i say it's time to give the acting profession a shot <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah 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 okay no, no, i like that um well when the revolution comes and you know actors can yeah become the new psychologists um okay so here's my question mm. I can't have an actor in the room and, and not ask about characters and favourite characters. Um, but to make sure it's a character that we're all familiar with, let's concentrate on uh, a Shakespeare character. Okay, So what I would like you to tell us, mm. Ed, is either your favourite Shakespeare character in general or uh, the favourite Shakespeare part that you have played um, and, and, and the reasons why. And similarly for us, I'd like to, us non-actors um, to think about you know, who our favourite Shakespeare character is as well. Uh, I've always been quite a uh, f- quite fond of Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream because he's just such a troublemaker. Doesn't he's a dick? He's a dick. <laughs> yeah, but he's kind of like a lovable rogue. You know, he's a lovable dick. You know, he just wants to mess things around and doesn't really listen to his boss or his boss's wife or doesn't really care what people think or people. Yeah, he just wants to mess around. He's a Loki kind of character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I nice. think I think my uh, mine would be uh, John Falstaff. Oh, you got that the, first. Uh, sorry, you got there first. Oh no, I don't. I won't say. No, no, that. It's, all right. it's all right. It's all right. No, it's all right. No, 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 because it might be very different reasons. Well, I mean, actually, it, it could be because I, I, I'm obviously not thinking about it in terms of what that character is like to inhabit, but what he's like to uh, experience as a as a viewer. And um, you know, the I think of because he crops up in you know multiple plays. Uh, you see the development of his character and and it is really it's sort of this fantastic tragedy of seeing this sort of once great you know heroic sort of um lo- lovable center of the world's uh, attention and you know uh, gra- gradually lose his status uh, and and you know decline and and he just has that has that wonderful speech in um in Henry the 4th part 2 where he's you know reminded of the old times and he suddenly he sort of says oh you know the 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 the, um he's talking about we've heard the chimes at midnight and reminiscing and sort of realizing how long ago that was and and that's the you see this moment where he you know he he um sort of suddenly realizes how how sort of far in the world he's he's fallen against Mm. his own aspirations Mm. but um yeah sorry sorry ed i no i let the pro go first no but i want to say mine (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so mine actually, I'm going to break the rules for my own game. Um, is actually not a Shakespeare character. There'll be no one left by the time you get there. <laughs> no, so I, actually, mine is um, the Pardoner from the Pardoner's Tale from Chaucer, um, because which I recognise is not a Shakespeare character, but um, he's not just even, he's not even in a play. Well, but it's a story. <laughs> uh, it could be acted out. I'm sure. Actually, no. I've no. 
it's play enough um he's just such a he's a just such a caricature almost villain bad guy and there's something quite sort of you know with his scrawny neck and and he's just so kind of oily and horrible but quite funny as well and a bit of a chancer and uh yeah he's the guy i like so that's one of my favorite characters the other one i was gonna say is actually again i'm cheating because it's not actually a character <laughs> but from uh paper clips <laughs> <laughs> i love paper clips is from king lear because i just think it's such a great line that is um, shakespeare yeah, I know it is, but it's not a character. Wait, okay. so it's the line that I like, not necessarily the character, which is out vile jelly, uh, which I think is Edmund. I think is it, and is it, is it Gloucester? He yes, does that when too. Blind in Gloucester. Yeah, when he's gouging his eyes out yeah. with his thumb, or in some productions with a spoon. Um, but anyway, um, Ed. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Falstaff too, uh, for lots of the reasons you said. But I think, and it, and it's actually it's also the pardon. I think what Shakespeare does brilliantly is those is the villains that we love like Richard III that even though we know what they're doing is terrible and appalling when they turn to us and tell us what they're doing they're so brilliant and witty and charming that we go along with what they're thinking and and we sort of want them to succeed and Falstaff's not a villain in that sense although if you look at what he doesn't he does go and rob people and sends a load of people to war to be shot to pieces who shouldn't go you know he does some pretty appalling things but but there's something in him there's a kind of humanity and 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 brilliance even though it's corrupted and pissed and sort of psychopathic charm well that's definitely true with richard um yeah maybe full stuff is as well but i think and i'm hopefully not going to play him for a few years but i think there's something really compelling about those and then there's the moment, which Richard III has as well, that although he draws himself back from it, those some moments of insight into themselves where you go, oh, you do know what you're doing, but you still can't break the pattern that I think I just find him endlessly compelling. Which brings us right back around to sort of modelling human behaviour and understanding humans. And yeah, so therefore it should be no surprise the insights that we could get on this sort of stuff of analysis of human behaviour from an actor. Um, so we'll wrap up there. Um, thank you very much to all of you. So we've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. But most especially, thank you very much to our special guest, Ed Kingsley. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.